Welcome to Sons of Saturday Irish. We're happy to be back doing one of these again after taking a couple weeks off. Uh, I'm in Connecticut right now in the heart of a snowstorm that I don't think is ever going to end, honestly. I'm looking out my window right now. Can't see shit. We got like 13 inches of counting. Anyways, Luke is in Chicago dealing with some more snow as well. Not a ton has happened around the Northern football program lately, which is probably a good thing, um, with the exception of a minor recruiting violation, which we'll get to here in a second. But we have two awesome interviews for the show. We got the chance to talk to former starting left tackle Liam Eichenberg as he gets ready for the NFL draft. And speaking of the draft, we'll also be joined by Matt Miller. You might know him as at NFL Draft Scout on Twitter. Matt's one of the best NFL draft insiders there is, so it was awesome to have him on and hear his insight following the Senior Bowl this past weekend. But Luke, you got anything exciting going on in your life that you want to update the listeners on? February sucks. Um, it's <laughs> just like the most depressing month of the year, and this is only the first day of it. So We're starting uh, I off guess high. I got that yep. going for me. <laughs> yeah, I haven't really left my basement all day today. Um, I've been just working and doing this. So uh, yeah, things are things are really exciting here in, in wintry Chicago. But indoor dining's back, so that's a, that's a start. And you're right, you know Notre Dame is pretty quiet. Um, outside of a recruiting violation, and and that's pretty much all I have to say about the recruiting violation because it was so minor, yet still necessitated a report that <laughs> it was just a classic. The NCAA is run by a bunch of doofuses situation, but it happens. And you know, I, I kind of thought we were due for some bad news because we haven't gotten any in a while. So if that's it, then I guess I'll take that. Yeah, let's hope so. Now Notre Dame is one year probation. Um, this situation was weird. There was other schools involved. If I guess if you're going to get a recruiting violation, this is the one to get. So, yeah, honestly, we had to report it. But beyond that, I don't have a whole lot to uh, add to it. No, for those not aware, and we're a little late to this because we've been taking some time off. But essentially, there's a recruit who has gotten Notre Dame, Florida, and Texas A&M all into hot water under very shady circumstances. Seems like his high school coach, who's now a college coach, was just trying to set these guys up, honestly, Um, but for very minor things. Since departed secondary coach Todd Light, uh, who has not been on staff now for two years, apparently was above his max limit of of text messages he could send to this kid. And then similarly, Brian Kelly was cited for taking a picture with a recruit after initially declining to take the picture and then giving in so he should be in jail yeah <laughs> i don't really know like why common sense isn't so common but you know i think just the issue is like you see probation and people that don't actually look into it think oh that's a bad thing like i know i've had people at work say like whoa what's this whole Notre Dame probation thing and then i explain it to them and they're like that's it like that really like but you don't look it past the headlines so thanks NCAA for that whole report you guys are great up there yeah no Swarbrick had to come down too with some strong statement but I guess you just have to do that to appease the board of trustees and people like that but yeah not a whole lot to report on there other than that Notre Dame also did pick up a commitment from Tyson Ford um, in the class of 2022 speaking of recruiting national sign days coming up so we'll have a recap episode kind of closing the book on the 2021 class with Mike Singer here in a couple of weeks, but that's about all I got. Luke, you got anything more? No, I think I'm going to South Bend soon. Um, Why? I, I, Why? Like, I, I, <laughs> I'm not even kidding. There's um, not a I, like, single place <laughs> in the world that I would like, no reason why I'd ever want to be in South Bend during the month of February, like of all the times. See, hmm, 
I disagree. I, I don't <laughs> think there's any there's any better place I'd rather be on a February Wednesday or so, sorry, not Wednesday, February Saturday where there's ten feet of snow on the ground <laughs> than just wake up and roll over and go to between the buns or tap house on the edge, whatever it's called, and have two Smurfs and watch college basketball. So hold on, um, I thought I you could couldn't s- handle Smurfs. No, I can. I, I can. <laughs> You're a known been, I, Smurf basher. Not a basher, just I've acknowledged their power is sometimes too great for like what people can handle. But that's a great Saturday morning activity. Um, so might have to do that. I've been talking that up with some people lately. Um, hopefully whoever has a car talks me out of that and we don't end up doing that. But it's something it's on the radar and – and yeah, no, I'm excited to, to get into these conversations. Both really great with with Matt Miller and, and Liam Eikenberg, who's working out in, in Phoenix right now preparing for the draft. But really good conversations, and, and I think you guys will like these. Yeah, all right, so let's get to it. We'll go Liam first and then Matt Miller. All right, we're now joined by former Notre Dame offensive lineman Liam Eikenberg. Outland Trophy semifinalist this past year. Liam, thanks for joining us, man. Uh, what have you been up to the last the last month or so since uh, your college football career ended as you prepare for the NFL draft here? Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on here. Um, yeah, I, uh, I've been out in Phoenix, Arizona currently. I'm uh, training at a facility called Exos. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying to get my body right and uh, get everything going for this next step in my career. So it, uh, it's definitely enjoyable being out here. We'll get more into that in a second, but first I wanted to rewind a little bit going back to your high school days. Uh, when you're a top recruit coming out of St. Ignatius, one of the best high school football programs in the state of Ohio, I mean, it's pretty much a given that Urban Meyer and Ohio State would recruit you pretty hard. So what was your recruitment like, and why did you ultimately decide to leave home and go to Notre Dame? Yeah, so growing up in Cleveland, Ohio, I mean, you know, I always, I always wanted to play for the Buckeyes. And, uh, I mean, that's pretty evident. My brother's there right now. He plays linebacker. And, uh, you know, for me, it was, it was just, I couldn't pass up on Notre Dame, you know, the opportunity to first go to Notre Dame, get a degree, and then also play for coach like Cody Stan, and uh, you continue that legacy of great off the at Notre Dame. It, uh, you know, you hear about it a lot. There's a great culture, and uh, there's just great guys in that room, and it's, it's stayed true up until now. So, I mean, I'm excited for the future. I'm excited for next year. But, uh, you know, Notre Dame was just – it's too good of an opportunity to pass up. Yeah, and you, and you mentioned right there kind of some of the, the great guys that were at Notre Dame when you arrived. And when you got to campus, you, you had the chance to learn from some kind of all-time great Notre Dame linemen and a long list of them, like guys like Quentin Nelson, Mike McGlinchey, Sam Mustafer, and Alex Bars. How much did those guys help you in your maturation process at Notre Dame? And, and what kind of example did they set for you to, to try to emulate? Yeah, you know, one of the things we always talk about is the standard and, you know, ever since a young age, when I first got here, you know, I had seniors such as, like you said, you know, Quentin Nelson, Mike McGlinchey, and, you know, a lot of guys you don't hear about, you know, guys that still aren't playing, but played a huge role in the culture of the offensive line, such as Hunter Biven, you know, he's working with Notre Dame football now, and a guy named Mark Harrell. And, you know, it's sometimes those, it's sometimes those guys behind the scenes that you really don't hear about that play such an important role that, you know, keeps everybody together. They're kind of like the glue, I guess you could say, but you know, I was very fortunate, like I said before, to have such great leaders and teammates. And then, you know, at the end of the day, just great men in that room to, uh, to help a young player like myself and other players through that process. But, uh, you know, I was very fortunate. You know, there's there's not many rooms out there in the country like what we had. So, 
with that being said, it's difficult for offensive linemen to get on the field much at the beginning of their careers because there's so many talented guys in front of them. So you really have to earn your keep on the practice field, the scout team, and things like that. We've talked to a few former players about how brutal that can be. So did you have like an eye-opening welcome to college football moment early on in your career? I mean, yeah, I would say, you know, scout team. <laughs> and I mean, guys probably talked about it, you know, just being on scout team sucks, if I'm being honest. But at the, at, at the end of the day, you know, made me a better player for it. Um, you know, you're taking around 120 reps as hard as you can go every single practice. So, I mean, it's definitely not easy work, but it's definitely work that you appreciate after getting it done. Um, I definitely would not <laughs> want to go back to doing that. But, uh, you know, for me specifically, I'd say my sophomore year was very eye-opening for me. You know, I, I thought I had a chance to start and I ended up getting beat out by Tommy Kramer and Rob Hainsey. And, uh, you know, that was tough for me. You know, it was one of those one of those pivotal moments in my career where, you know, I had to take a step back and look at where I was at and understand, you know, I came to Notre Dame to play and I wanted to start for the, on the offensive line and specifically at left tackle. So, you know, I mean, I switched out of business my sophomore year and uh, went into American studies, which I love. Shout out to Luke. I know he was an American <laughs> studies major. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just had to focus more on football and you kind of get to a point where, you know what you want to do with your life. And for me, I wanted to play football and I was willing to sacrifice, you know, I guess you could say a business degree for that. Nothing wrong with college of arts and letters degree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I still haven't figured out what I want to do with my life as an American studies major. <laughs> uh, I hope my job doesn't listen to this, but, um, but then, but then in 2018, you come into the season as a first time starter. And honestly, I feel like expectations for that team might've been a bit lower than normal because you had just lost two top 10 picks on the line and, and Josh Adams, some receivers too, but obviously you guys end up going 12 and 0. What was that season like for you gaining your footing as a, as a first time college starter while you were having so much success as a team as well? Yeah. You know, going into that season, if, if you would have told us we were undefeated, I mean, I don't think anybody would have believed it. I guess you'd say um, it was kind of one of those, one of those seasons where you, you kind of just take it game by get, game by game. Um, you know, you, you can't focus on the future. You can't focus on the past. You just got to focus one day at a time. And, you know, for me, stepping up there, having an the opportunity you know, Coach Quinn, Jeff Quinn, gave me a great opportunity to play that season and in, in the end, you know, start three years at left tackle. But uh, my first year, you know, it was tough. Like, I'll be honest with you, my first game I played against Rashawn Gary, Chase Winovich, and I mean, you know, <laughs> those are some those are some good players. I mean, that was the first game this season, and I was like, wow, I'm like, college ball is tough, you know. And uh, but at the same time, I felt like I could do it. You know, I, I could compete at the highest level. I could block these guys. So, um, my first year was definitely a big learning curve, I guess you could say, but, uh, you know, that year was just crazy. I mean, I look back, you know, we played Florida state in those green jerseys and, uh, you know, it was just, it was just a lot of fun that year, you know, Chip Long was offense coordinator, did a good job. Um, you know, he, he, he played a big role in getting our team going, I guess you could say, you know, it was unfortunate that he wasn't with us for the past two seasons, but, uh, I mean, he's a great coach and a lot of respect for him. But, uh, you know, Tommy Reese has stepped in there. He's done a really good job. And, you know, he, he's built a better culture, I guess you could say. So then we'll move on to the next undefeated season, this past one. And this season was obviously unlike any other, given the fact that it was played in a global pandemic and pretty much every standard order of operations that you were probably accustomed to got flipped on its head with all the protocols and everything. I think we all recognize that it was difficult on you guys, but could you describe like truly just how hard it was for you and the rest of the team just to get through one game week during the 2020 season? 
Yeah, you know, I mean, I kind of talked about just one week at a time, but I mean, to be honest with you, it was one day at a time this year. Um, you really didn't know what the future held. And, you know, dealing with COVID, dealing with a, in a pandemic, you know, one of the funniest things to me is, you know, you really realize how much people love football when we're playing football during a pandemic. And uh, I mean, I love it. You know, I wouldn't want it any other way, you know, any, any means to, to play football, I love it. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely difficult this year, you know, dealing with all the testing, got tested around like five, six times a week. You know, I had to get up early in the morning, get tested. And then, you know, when somebody tested positive, you know, I got tested three times one day because they were just concerned that maybe contact tracing or, you know, maybe I was exposed for a little bit. They just wanted to make sure. But, you know, it, it definitely made it difficult at times, you know, after the UCA, uh, USF game, you know, we were shut down for a couple of weeks, missed a couple of games. But, uh, you know, Coach Kelly and, you know, the medical staff in Notre Dame did a really good job at preparing us and, putting us in a good situation situation to succeed. So it, uh, you know, I was just, I was just very fortunate in regards to being able to play my fifth year. You know, I came back to play and uh, you know, one thing that a lot of people don't understand is, you know, midway through the season, I had to move out of my, out of my house. You know, I, I had to, I had to move somewhere else. My roommates had to move out because, you know, it's just too much of a risk in case somebody gets hurt. Cause you know, a lot of guys end up living with starters and stuff. And, you know, if you get one guy sick, there's four guys out. So it definitely was difficult not being able to hang out with some guys that, you know, I normally do. And then specifically for the offensive line, we always do peace night on Thursday. So, you know, it was very unfortunate not being able to build that culture, I guess. And, you know, we kind of took advantage of the time we had, you know, in the facility. So. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and you mentioned that, like having everything that was so weird about this year and having played on five different teams at Notre Dame, what, what was it about this 2020 team that, that made it so different from all the others or, or did it seem different from all the others to you? Yeah. You know, going into this year, it, it, it definitely felt like there was high expectations, which was rightfully so, you know, I mean, we had everybody on the offensive line coming back and, you know, had an experienced quarterback, you know, defense was solid. So, um, you know, I mean, it, it, was, it was rightfully so that we're high expectations and that, you know, you know, it's, it, it just sucks, you know, going to two playoffs over these past three years and not being able to pull it out, you know, it uh, definitely makes you have some regrets. And, you know, that's one of the things I always try not to do is have regrets. So, um, but, you know, th- this team is very different. You know, at the, at the end of the day, you know, we just believed and we trusted each other. You know, I, I had to trust that every guy in my room and every guy on defense wasn't going out, wasn't getting sick and then getting me sick. Cause you know, at the end of the day, you know, we want to win and we want to make Notre Dame proud. So it, uh, it was definitely difficult this year, but we're better for it. Definitely. Now outside of your play, which was really good. And you got some national recognition for that. You did go viral for other reasons this year. When you came back into the Florida state game after essentially getting your eye gouged out, I think pardon <laughs> my take called you like football guy of the week and you were all over social media. Can you describe what the hell actually happened on that play? And, and, and then how you were able to come back in despite basically being blind in one eye. Yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, man, that game was tough. I'm not gonna lie. Um, it was, it was definitely difficult seeing out of my eye. Um, we're running a pin and pull play. I was blocking down on the three tech and then, you know, banks, big banks was pulling around and, you know, I blocked down on the three and the linebacker shot through and I tried to get a piece of them too. And his hand or his thumb just went right, right into my eye. And when it happened, I mean, I couldn't see out of either of my eyes. I was like, I was like, wow. I'm like, this thing hurts. I'm like, I can't see anything. And everybody rushed over, you know, you always see the offensive line run over to the boys and they're like, you all right. And, 
you know, Banks thought it was my, my knee or I got something taken out an ankle or something like that. But, uh, you know, it's just my eyes stood up and I was like, all right, like, this can't be that bad. And my contact popped out. And, you know, th- that was the reason I was out for so long. I was trying to get my contact in. And, you know, we, we had three people try to get my contact in. And I was like, you know what? I'm like, I just need to go up to the locker room and look in a mirror. And I got up there and I was like, wow. I'm like, I understand why it's so difficult getting this thing in because it was swollen. Like, it was it was very swollen. And I, I popped it back in. And, you know, I was, I was very happy that, you know, Dylan Gibbons, shout out to him. He stepped in there and played well. And then Banks kicked off the tackle. And, you know, I'm pretty sure they ended up scoring. But throughout that game, I was pretty much sitting there, ice in my eye. And I was trying to do the best I could. I could barely see out of it. But, uh, I mean, that wasn't going to stop me from playing hard and doing everything I could to help my team win. So, Yeah, the pictures from that were pretty hilarious. It didn't look like you could see at all, but I guess you could see a little bit and enough to play. So we'll move on to the Clemson game. You played a key role, one of the biggest wins in recent program history. Um, that was a memorable night for so many people. But when you look back on that game and maybe what happened afterwards, is there a moment that sticks out to you uh, when you reflect? Yeah, you know, it was uh... – it was pretty crazy. You know, we were down by, I think we were about down by a touchdown extra, or extra point. And uh, we went out there, I think it was like under a minute and, you know, we just started driving and then, you know, Avery caught that, that deep ball across the middle and I was like, let's go. And we went down there, punched it in. And, you know, after we scored the first time in overtime, I was like, we're going to win this. I'm like, they can't hang with us. It was just because, you know, we had so much better conditioning and mental toughness than them, I guess you could say. So, you know, that game was crazy. Everybody stormed the field. I was like, I need to get my mask and get out of here. You know, I was, cause I mean, I haven't had COVID like I talked about. And I mean, I was just concerned for my own health. And then at the same time, I was like, I really hope my teammates aren't in there. So, um, but yeah, it was a huge win. I was very fortunate to be on that team and be part of that. I mean, nothing like knocking the number one team off, you know, it's definitely something I'll remember forever. Something I also wanted to ask you about, I think a lot of Notre Dame fans probably didn't appreciate the the Ian Book era quarterback for Notre Dame as much as they probably should have. And as a guy who came into school with him and, and protected him the last three years, what what is Ian Book like as a teammate and, and as a leader? And what is it about him that really enabled you guys to, to win so many games with him as quarterback the last several years? Yeah, you know, a lot of people like to bash a quarterback, but, you know, I, I just don't think they understand football at the end of the day, you know, I mean, there's so much more that goes into, into football than just how the quarterback plays. I mean, book could play terrible and it's not even his fault. It's the offensive lines, you know, maybe the receivers aren't getting open. So I think a lot of people, you know, they like to blame him and he takes, he takes a lot of it, you know, it's just very irritating to hear, you know, people just bash him because they really don't understand what goes, what goes into it. And, how much responsibility he has, you know, I mean, he has to know what everybody is doing on the field and yeah, you could say that's his job, but at the same time, you know, like if I miss my block, you know, he's not able to throw the ball. So I think there's a lot that goes into it. You know, Ian's a great leader. He's a great teammate. He's a great man. And, you know, I mean, it, it honestly didn't surprise me that he stepped up and he's the most winningest quarterback at Notre Dame. Um, you know, I, I think he's going to be very successful at the next level and uh, I wish him the best. So you were part of that 4-8 and eight debacle your freshman year. The program was at a low point, and then you guys rattle off one of the best four-year stretches in school history, going 43-8, and eight, and you end your college football career in the playoff. And I know it's still very fresh, but when, what are you most proud of when you look back on your five-year career? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I honestly, I really wanted to win the Joe Moore, this Joe Moore Award this past season. 
um, that was definitely up there. And at the same time, you know, it was winning national championship, winning Joe Moore award. And then, you know, my personal accolades I wanted to accomplish, but, you know, for me, I would say just, I don't know if it's an accomplishment, but just having the opportunity, opportunity to be in the offensive line room at Notre Dame, be part of that legacy that I've talked about before and, you know, have the opportunity to continue on that standard and brotherhood, which has been established for, I mean, since Zach Martin and Chris Wilde were there. So I don't know if it's a game that I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not one to brag about a game that I played well in, but, you know, just to have the opportunity to play with certain players that, you know, I'm never going to be able to play with again. So now I, I could not find a stat confirming this, but the only two brothers I could think of who made the college football playoff in the same season from two different teams are Calvin and Riley Ridley. You and your brother, Tommy, a linebacker at Ohio State, made history of your own this year by both making the playoff. What was that like, and, and can you describe the relationship you guys have a little bit? Yeah, my brother, uh, I'm very close to my brother. We talk a good amount. Um, you know, I really wanted to play him, if I'm being honest with you, but unfortunately we weren't able to win. Um, yeah, but my brother, he plays linebacker at Ohio State. You know, he broke his thumb this year, and then he had COVID, so – I mean, this season was pretty much a wash for him. He, he wasn't able to play a lot just because of um, events that happened this year. But I'm looking forward to him uh, doing very well next year, stepping up, having the opportunity to play. And, uh, you know, I was, it was cool for my parents, you know. Not many parents were able to travel to both playoff games. My mom went to his and my dad went to mine. So it was just a very unique situation. And, you know, it just kind of – it honestly didn't surprise me. Ohio State's a very good team. We were a good team. And uh, I really wanted to play him, just take a picture on the field after, if I'm being honest. And, uh, you know, I really wish he was out there uh, if we had the opportunity to play him. But, you know, I'm excited for his future. All right, before we wrap up here, we're doing a little research before this interview. And we received some intel that the O-Line house was hosting a party after the spring game in 2017, and the floors allegedly collapsed. Can you confirm or deny? <laughs> yeah, those... <laughs> Those floors did well. I mean, it just wasn't an offensive line, and but I mean, there's it did happen. I think we were at uh, <laughs> a bunch of big bodies we at, on one floor. It might be a little too. We much. uh we were at McGlinchey's house, and we we're all just hanging out, dancing, playing music. And I mean, there was a lot of people in there. That floor just collapsed, and it was you just hear heard people screaming. And I'm pretty sure they ended up getting kicked out of that house because it was just a safety hazard. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was wild. It was it was a <laughs> It was a crazy situation. I remember I was walking down the steps and I, I heard the thing just collapse. And I was like, holy heck. I'm like, I hope nobody's hurt. But yeah, that definitely did happen. It, uh, it's definitely a funny moment uh, in college. Do people like land in the in the basement? Do they like fall all the way through or is it just like halfway caved in? No, it wasn't like that. It probably dipped down about a foot and a half and it was fine. But everybody was like, get out. So everybody <laughs> got kicked out. And I mean, they were freaking out. They just didn't want anybody to get hurt. But it, uh, it definitely was a unique situation that nobody expected. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I kind of do remember hearing about that. That's great. Um, now we want to end with some rapid-fire questions here. So we've heard that you're a big fan of Marvel. Which Marvel character would you compare yourself to? Uh, yeah, I love Thor. I love the Marvel movies. I love them. Okay, which coach in the Notre Dame staff, current or former, would you most want to go out with in South Bend? Uh, Jeff Quinn. I'd love to have a beer with him. Okay, hypothetically, you're at Legacy Village. It's 2 a.m. You're playing beer pong against another Mannerite named Harrison, and it's high stakes. Your lives are on the line. Who are you picking as your partner? Oh, uh, man. 
Probably uh, Evan Slattery. Definitely Evan Slattery. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Fair answer. And then last question, which is what we ask every Notre Dame alum on this podcast. What's the weirdest thing you've ever seen during a night out in South Bend? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot that is, has happened. Um, I would just say I was – I think I was in an Uber coming back from somebody's house, and I think it was the middle of winter, and I just saw some dude just walking around in shorts and a T-shirt, and I was just so confused. I was like, what are you doing, man? It's freezing. I wish I, wish I would have stopped and given him my jacket, but – I mean, he looked like he was having a good time, so just kind of rolled on. But, yeah, I mean, there's a lot that happens in South Bend. I mean, you guys know there's some crazy people. Yeah, five years, there's a long time. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a long time, but, I mean, I, I loved it. I wouldn't have wanted it to be any other way. Awesome. All right, Liam, this is great. Thanks for the time to do this, man. We really appreciate it, and good luck these next few months you prepare for the draft. Talk to you again soon, right? No problem, guys. Appreciate it. All right, we're joined now by Matt Miller, better known as the NFL Draft Scout. Matt was the lead NFL draft writer for Bleach Report for 10 years before starting his own site this year. Um, and you should check it out at thedraftscout.com. So, Matt, with the 2021 NFL Draft just a little under three m- months away, I know you're super busy, so I do really appreciate the time. And, you know, we'll start with you. How do you prepare during these final few months leading up to the draft? Yeah, guys, thanks for having me on today. It is a whirlwind. And you would think, right, that like, okay, the college football season started around Labor Day. You would think that guys like myself, we've had, you know, five months now to watch film and get to know these players. It doesn't really work like that. Um, a lot of the time, what you're doing from, you know, September, October, November is just trying to familiarize yourself with this class because, yeah, like, okay, we all know who Trevor Lawrence is, right? Justin Fields and those guys, you know, and you're going to evaluate. But it's really the harder process of, taking the I usually start with like 700 players in a list around May and then I try to whittle that list of seniors that's just seniors I try to whittle that list of seniors down over the summer by watching film talking to scouts talking to schools talking to agents and figuring out okay which of these guys do we think has a chance to play at the next level so you try to get your list down you know to about 500 players by September and then it's the process of watching those guys so like the it's not so much watching the top names that I think that's where a lot of folks get confused. They would think all fall you're watching Clemson, Notre Dame, LSU, Alabama, Ohio state. You're not, you're watching Northwestern and coastal Carolina and Tulsa and some of the smaller guys who you haven't had a chance to watch over the past couple of years. So the process is a grueling one. And then to get to your question, finally, uh, now is that time of year where after the senior bowl, I go, I take all my notes from the senior bowl. I watch the senior bowl practices on film. Uh, once I get home from there, which is what I'm doing this week and, and then try to see where guys I was high on guys I was low on. Uh, then normally that would roll into the combine in about a month where you would get a chance to then cross check your evaluations with the athletic ability. Uh, this year will be a little bit different because no combine. So instead it'll be pro days, which are not going to be uh, a great, you know, uh, historical factor for testing times, but that's part of the process. I mean, I could spend three hours like just talking about what my day-to-day is like. It's a year-round job. Uh, it truly is. And it's awesome. I'm super, super fortunate. But it is, it's so much of sitting at this desk with an iPad and a notepad and watching film and writing notes about players. I mean, that's, that dominates my day. Right. Yeah. And, and as you just described, obviously it's a year round process, but you did just mention the senior bowl as well. And, and obviously we're a couple of days removed from that. I'm curious in your perspective, how important is that game and that week of practices leading up to the game for players participating in, in their draft stock? Yeah, Luke, it's super important. 
in a normal year, this year is like the most important senior bowl that's ever happened because as a scout, you're not going to get that access point to that player at a, at a combine where you would normally go spend four days with a player throughout their testing and workouts and interviews. You're not getting that now. So I think it's hugely important. Uh, I was talking to a scout the other day about this, of just the player interviews. It was the first time he had interviewed with a player in person this year. And that interview was conducted through a plexiglass like wall, like they were in prison or something. Right. So it's just like, that is the thing that, you know, is lost this year. And so that's why the senior bowl was so important. Yeah. The practices are huge, you know, to see a guy like Mac Jones uh, get outside his system to see Ian book, get outside his system and watch them, you know, make plays without, you know, for, for Mac Jones, I would love to see you throw without a first rounder catching the ball. And we finally got a chance to see that, or, you know, without a, a first rounder in the backfield or, three first rounders on the offensive line. So it's a level playing field, which is super important because whether you're a small school guy or, you know, an elite of the elite school, everybody gets put on a level playing field and you're playing with, you know, folks you've never worked with before and been asked to do things you've never done before. I know Sam Ellinger told me he had taken two snaps under center in his life before he got to Mobile for the senior bowl. So it's just learning all those new things that you're going to have to do in the NFL and showing that, so like you might roll in on Monday, not knowing how to take a snap under center, but it's what do you look like by Saturday? Showing that you can learn and develop and grow is as important as who you were when you got there. Obviously, this year is going to be a little bit different because of COVID reasons. But could you walk us through what goes into this week for the players that are participating in the Senior Bowl? Because I think most fans are familiar with the Combine and how that's considered like the biggest job interview for these players. But there's obviously a lot more that goes into this week beyond you know just the game on Saturday and even the practices. So beyond that, what else are the players doing to try to showcase their talents on and off the field? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think you know you can see on ESPN and NFL Network some of the practices, but they, they kind of hyper-focus on a couple guys. Um, when you sit in the stands, what you're seeing is you know these players arrive usually on Sunday and, and get acclimated. And then Tuesday morning, you get rock and rolling with weigh-ins. And they're weighed and measured, you know, height, weight, hand size, arm length, and wingspan. So you get those measurements, which are super important to what we do. And then you run through practices. And this is not like the practice that you went through as a high school player, where it's a lot of standing around, installing plays. It's very drill-heavy to get as many players involved as possible. So if you're a quarterback, you know, the first thing you're going to do is warm that arm up. Then you're going to throw one-on-ones to your receivers with a DB covering him and man coverage. Then you're going to do a little bit of like a seven-on-seven install drill uh, passing side. You're going to do some seven-on-seven install run side. Then you're going to do go back, throw more one-on-ones to tight ends, running backs, wide receivers, and then usually close practice out with a full 11-on-11. So it's a process where it's not just, again, it's not like what you think football practice looks like. It's really tailored to give evaluators an opportunity to see what you can do from an athletic standpoint and see what you're like. And so it is a lot of one-on-one type competitions, whether that's receivers going against corners or offensive linemen going against defensive linemen, running backs against linebackers. It's really based and rooted in competition. And then you do get those team portions that are super important. Definitely. So Ian Book might not be the highest draft pick coming out of Notre Dame this year, but he is probably the most recognizable name because he's the winningest quarterback in Notre Dame history. So from your perspective, how did his performance this past week impact his draft draft stock? Yeah, I think with Ian, he is one of those guys that you have to see the whole week from him, right? Tuesday, uh, first day of practice, I thought he looked pretty uh, shaky. Is it probably a nice way to put it? You know, he's he's a small guy. He's never going to show up in just terms of arm strength and athleticism. So on Tuesday, you're like, oh, man, Ian Book, I don't know if he belongs here. 
Wednesday, he was more comfortable. It's like, okay, never, you know, he actually looks pretty crisp. He's starting to figure things out, get comfortable. But by Thursday, uh, you really saw him, I think, have his best day. And a lot of people, you know, he got named the practice player of the week uh, at quarterback for his squad, which was huge. So I think that was big for him, you know, just showing that day-to-day improvement. Now, again, a player like Ian, and I think you can say the same thing about Sam Ellinger, they're not going to look great in practices where they're just asked to do a simple three-step drop and throw. They're gamers. They need to be able to scramble. They need to be able to move around. So for Ian, for Sam Ellinger, uh, the interviews are as important as the play, and working with the Dolphins and Panthers coaching staffs is as important as well as the game because you're showing those guys, you know, both these quarterbacks are going to be drafted as backups, right? But you're showing this team, like, what your – football IQ is, what your leadership, your work ethic, your drive, all those super important traits that have nothing to do with how tall you are or how strong your arm is, that more often than not, it's the difference between, you know, having a 10-year career in the NFL as a QB2 or, you know, bouncing out and, you know, living off your autograph in South Bend for the next 20 years. So I think that's where, you know, Ian Book is a super likable guy, great energy. He was a fantastic leader. You could see that from watching practice. And I think that's definitely going to help him. So even if, you know, if he doesn't show up that great in a practice setting, it's all the other stuff that's really going to make his career not so much you know, what he does throwing seven routes all day. So based on his entire body of work, what, what's your evaluation on him and how, how do you forecast his NFL career going? Yeah, you know, he reminds me a lot of someone like Gardner Minshew, where you love the way he plays the game. Like he has that infectious energy. And I don't know that he – I think Ian's a better athlete, but it, it's kind of that, you know, like, guy who's are just balls to the wall and like they're not afraid of anything and they'll do whatever it takes whether that's scrambling throwing on the run throwing off platform so with ian like that's the thing you love about his game on the other side of it like his lower body mechanics are erratic as hell you know which is kind of a fun thing but like man just plant and throw the damn ball and there might be a better success rate on some of these things so i mean i do he'll get drafted i do think he'll get drafted i know that you know notre dame fans probably think it's crazy to have to say no i think he'll get drafted but I would say round five or six is probably where I would have him right now in terms of a grade. This is not the best quarterback class. And so I think with Ian, it's the thing where like, could someone fall in love with him, you know, uh, and make him a fourth round pick? Absolutely. If you believe that, you know, he's going to be a really good backup quarterback for a long time, uh, that's, there's value in that. We saw that, you know, uh, last year, the New York Jets uh, have Sam Darnold in the fourth round, they took James Morgan, you know, Fourth round, we're taking a backup quarterback. So it, it wouldn't be a shock to see his uh, value float up a little bit if there's a team that just loves the person. So outside of him, what Notre, what Notre Dame player or players do you think improved their stock the most this past week at the Senior Bowl? Yeah, man. Uh, those the, Here's the thing. Y'all have an unfair advantage, and I don't know if you know this, but when you're sitting in the stands and there's you know 70 players on the field there's one freaking helmet that stands out more than anything else (laughs) it's those gold helmets with the sun bouncing off of them and so it's like oh who am i gonna watch today notre dame guy whether i wanted to or not so uh who stood out the most i think robert hainsey had the best week of any notre dame player there in terms of where i thought he was and where i ended up on him because you know i've watched this guy play forever and it's Moving in and playing some center this week was huge for him, uh, just showing that versatility. Uh, I thought he looked – man, and I like Aaron Banks. I thought Hainsey looked better than him over the course of the week. So that's one of those things I have to now go back, rewatch tape, and be like, what was I missing? Like, what didn't I see? And so he had a, a big, big week. Dalen Hayes had a good week as well. I think that's to be expected just because of how athletic he is. That's the type of player that 
you know, will show up, uh, will pop on tape. So those would be, if I had to pick like a winner and a loser from Notre Dame, it, it would be those two players, or excuse me, two winners. It would be those two players. I don't think anybody necessarily hurt their stock. You know, this is just a, a really, really solid crop of, of fighting Irish prospects. I want to stay on Hainsey there for a second because um, Notre Dame has had a great recent history of putting in top offensive line talent in the NFL this year, four out of the five um, starting linemen will be eligible for the NFL draft. You got Liam Eikenberg, Banks, Tommy Kramer, and Robert Hainsey. Out of those four, who do you think will have the best NFL career? Not necessarily who will be drafted the highest, but who you think will have the best career. Yeah, I would not be shocked if it's Hainsey, just because the versatility that I saw is so important. And so one thing we're seeing in the NFL this year is that you have to have players in the middle who can do everything. You know, I mean, the Kansas City Chiefs are in the Super Bowl with four of their starting offensive linemen out. And so you have to have someone who can play guard, both center spots. So I like Liam Eikenberg a lot. Uh, I do think he could be a top 40 or 50 pick in this draft. But if I had to say, here's one guy, and I bet he plays for 12 years, then I would pick Robert Hainsey. And again, I like Aaron Banks as well. Uh, I thought he had – his film was good. He's my number five rated interior offensive lineman in this class. So I like him. But something about the way Hainsey plays, and that, like, raises my hand, jump in on everything. Like, that's the type of thing you really like to see from an interior lineman. Sure. No, that makes sense. Totally. Um, now, outside of guys who were in Mobile last week, Jeremiah Wusu koromoa won the Buckus Award for best linebacker in the country this past year. And a lot of places have him as, as the highest draft pick coming out of Notre Dame this year. What's your evaluation on him and, and where do you think he'll ultimately end up in the NFL? Yeah, he is definitely the best Notre Dame prospect this year. And, and there's a lot of good ones, but I have him ranked number 15 overall on my current big board. I think the, the, deal with him is like, where are you going to play him? And uh, it, that used to be a knock, right? We'd look at guys and say, where are you going to play? I remember when Miles Jack was coming out, I asked an NFL defensive coordinator. I was like, well, yeah, but where are you going to play him? And he was like, I'm going to play him on defense. Like, where, what does it matter? Like he doesn't have to play one position. He's going to play defense. It's like, Oh, okay. That changed my whole thought process on these guys like Owusu Kormo, who, you know, he's not your traditional middle linebacker. That's okay. He can play weak side linebacker. He can play uh, in coverage. You know, he can, he's almost like a Jamal Adams type player where just put him down in the box and let him make things happen, whether he's rushing the quarterback, covering tight ends, stacking the run, like whatever you're asking him to do, just let him go do it. And I think that, we, you know, we've seen quite a few players come out like that the last few years, and they've been valued in the top 20 picks. So I like him a lot. You know, the athleticism just, it stands out anytime you watch him play, as does the versatility. And with him, like the, the only knock, size. The only thing is, oh, he's kind of small. So let's take that away. Let's take away that he's too small for a traditional linebacker. Let's let him play in space. Let him basically be an edge in, in nickel situations where he can cover, stop the run or rush, and his value goes through the roof. So that's when I try to scout players. It's not what, like, why can't you have success because you're 6'1", 220. It's like, how do we put you in a position to have success with the traits that you have? And I, he has – just traits through the roof and the instincts are there. I mean, it's, it's everything you want, just in a little bit smaller package. So staying on JOK, like you said, he's he's got a unique set of skills. He's a little bit smaller. Is there an NFL system you think he would really fit well in? Um, and also one that's about where, like the position where you think he's going to be drafted. Do you think that there's a perfect fit for him in the NFL? Yeah, so there's two. And I think New England at 15 is a perfect fit for him because – that's what Belichick has made a career of, of taking guys and saying, okay, what do you do? Well, we're going to put you in a position to do that. You know, I think of the way he rehabbed Kyle Van Noy's career 
and, and a plate, you know, someone like that who could do a little bit of everything. And then I think the team right after that, uh, the Arizona Cardinals, they're probably going to lose Hassan Reddick in free agency. And I think these two are a little bit different types of players. Reddick is a much uh, more of a pass rush profile, but coming out of Temple, he was a player a lot like this. You know, it was, where's he going to play? What is he going to do? And I think we've seen with Buda Baker, with Isaiah Simmons, the Cardinals love versatility. And, and I think uh, JOK would absolutely fit that defense as well. Another Notre Dame player who declared early was Tommy Tremble and caught a lot of people by surprise when he did. Um, he's an elite blocker, that much is well known, but he was definitely not the most utilized pass catching tight end on the roster this year, due in part to the emergence of true freshman Michael Mayer. Obviously, there's a lot that goes into the decision for a player outside of the field, so I'm not going to pretend like I, I know what went into that. But just based purely on his skill level as a football player, do you think Tremble made the right decision to declare early? Do you think at this point he's sort of maximized his stock? And how do you think that's going to go for him in this draft? I feel uh, this is mostly a joke, but I feel partially responsible for this because I was actually watching you guys late in the year, and I was like, I know that uh, you know Baby Gronk is the better tight end, Michael Myers. <clears throat> I was like, but I love the way Tommy Tremble plays. Like I, I just love watching him play football. And sometimes that happens in my job. Like you, you watch a player, and it's not that they're going to be a, the best NFL prospect, but you just actually love the way they play football. And and Tommy was one of those players. So I apologize for that tweet, Notre Dame fans. <laughs> you and Stanford Steve both. <laughs> yeah, right? Steve said he was his favorite player. Out. Yeah. Uh, so I, I do, I love him. And I think that it's just a matter of, like you said, he didn't catch a lot of passes. Well, that's okay. The best tight end uh, outside of Kyle Pitts, the best tight end in college football, you know, was a freshman in Notre Dame last year. So you're not going to get those, those catches. And, you know, we've seen even, you know, with like Cole Komet wasn't getting a ton of catches at Notre Dame compared to some other tight ends in the country. So it's just somewhat systematic as well. I like Trimble. I think, you know, I want to see the athleticism. And that's where I really wish we were going to have a combine just to see truly what his athletic profile looks like, because I think that's another thing we didn't always get to see at Notre Dame, but you know, there were several opportunities for him with yards after catch that he took advantage of. So I have him, I have him actually ranked pretty highly guys. I have him as the number four tight end in this class behind Pitts, uh, Freer, Moth, and Hunter Long. So I'm betting on the upside here. Uh, and I, I do, I like him as a player. I don't know that, I don't know if the testing is going to make me change my mind. If he runs like a four, eight or something, you know, we'll have to revisit this. But um, I just think that his type of play fits everywhere in the NFL right now, even if it's not as a number one, you know, as a number two, where so many teams are starting to get multiple tight ends on the field. Somebody who has that blocking pedigree definitely fits in. So I, I have to ask as somebody who does this and, and you're writing evals all the time, I always love looking and, and seeing at the different adjectives you use to describe players. I think my personal favorite one is, <laughs> is twitchy. Do you have a, a personal yeah. favorite adjective that you use when you're writing these different evaluations? Yeah, you gotta you have to be aware of that, right? Because you don't want to <laughs> use them too much. When I was at Bleacher Report, they one year made like a word cloud of all mine. And then it, when I was on camera, if I used them, they like it was like a bingo game, you know, uh, I think wired is my favorite one right now. Like how a guy's wired, you know, I use that one way too much, uh, twitchy juiced up. Uh, I, one of my best friends used to hate when I would say a guy could spin it be like, damn, that guy <laughs> could spin it. He'd be like, what, what does that even mean? Like you're, you're talking like a football coach. Stop that. So I try to, I try to be aware of that because I think one thing that, that allows me to differentiate myself from some of the other folks in this industry is I really try to speak to my audience and understand that not everybody's like a diehard, you know, like knee biting, you know, hardcore scout. So it's like I try to use words that people will understand no matter their walk of life. Like if just a casual football fan is trying to read about Tommy Trimble, you know, I don't want to, you know, be calling it, you know, high waisted and, you know, no sand in his pants, things like that, that. <laughs> 
sometimes I think people just write these things to to try to get the you know the viral tweet off of what the catchphrase instead of what they've actually said. So how did you get into this business? Oh my God, that's a, such a great question. I was obsessed with the NFL draft. Like I can't remember not being obsessed with the NFL draft, honestly. And so when I was in high school, I used to this. So I'm old. And when I was in high school, the internet had like really just hit the small town that I lived in. And so I, I spent all my free time at school, at home. If I wasn't at football practice, I was on websites that covered the NFL draft way back in the day. And one of those websites had a message board where you could just talk to other people who loved the draft. And I, I got a, like pretty much addicted to it. Uh, let's be honest. And just from there, people realized that I, you know, was passionate and knew what I was talking about and it became a hobby. And I went to school to be a paramedic after nine 11 thought I needed to do something to, you know, help out, uh, burnt out of that industry real fast, uh, because it's grueling, uh, went to work in marketing. Um, but while I was doing those two things, I coached football. I scouted on the side for arena league teams, Canadian leagues, like whoever would hire me. Um, but I, I ran my own website that whole time. And one day in 2010, I got an email that some company I'd never heard of called Bleacher Report needed an NFL draft writer. And you didn't have to have a journalism degree, which was good for me. Uh, and so I applied and sent them my website. It was like, hey, I've been running my own site for a couple of years. It's got a, a gorilla following. And, you know, I, I'm self-sufficient. And they brought me on in November of 2010. And, you know, uh, 10 days from right now will be my final day there. So it was a hell of a run. But that was my start. I just got the right opportunity with a place that said, write as much as you want. And I was willing to be their guinea pig. And if they assigned me, you know, rank the top 1,000 players in the NFL, I'd be like, cool, I'll have it to you Wednesday. And just took whatever they gave me and, and was determined to carve a career out of it. That's awesome. I got to ask, you've been doing this obviously quite a while. Now, you know, have hindsight. What Notre Dame player were you most correct on in your assessment and in their translation of the NFL and, and which were you most wrong on? Oh, this is a great question. Uh, can I like just Ronnie Stanley was my guy. So I think and I think Ronnie's the best left tackle in football. So that's not like mm -hmm. I'm not trying to, you know, be biased there. <laughs> I, I felt like I nailed that one in a year where a lot of people really liked Laramie Tunsil. Notre Dame player I was most wrong on. That's a tough one. Jeez, there's probably just so many that I was wrong on. Um, Chase Claypool, I was down on. And I actually remember talking to Coach Kelly and was like, I mean, what is he going to be in the NFL? Like, I don't really know. And it's just a stupid question like that. And he was like, he's <laughs> going to do the same stuff for us, you know, get him in the NFL. He's an athlete. He's, you know, 6'4", 235, and he runs a 4'3". Like, he's going to be okay. But uh, I, he was definitely someone I, I didn't have the imagination to imagine that he would be able to just go to the NFL and do the same thing he did in college. So I was definitely way too low on him. All right, man, this has been awesome. Be sure to check out his website. That's thedraftscout.com. Follow him on Twitter and Instagram at NFL Draft Scout. And you can listen to his radio show. And he's got a podcast as well, Two Guys, a Girl, and a Podcast. We really appreciate the time, man. So thanks again. You bet, guys. Talk to you soon. And that was Matt Miller and Liam Eichenberg. Really enjoyed both of those conversations. I've known Liam since he arrived at Morrissey Manor on his first day of his freshman year when I was a sophomore. So really been enjoyable to see him have the success he's had and, and hopefully get drafted in, in a high spot. And, and Miller kind of touched on that. Obviously, he has them graded pretty high, so that'll be exciting to see. But, uh, yeah, really enjoyed both those conversations. Yeah, it was really fun having both of them on, especially – you know, our first one back after a couple of weeks, two awesome interviews, two great dudes. And uh, yeah, just quick programming note going forward here. Um, in the spirit of the offseason, 
we're going to be doing um, a few narrative style podcasts and, and we'll do some interviews as well, kind of revisiting some old Notre Dame scandals or controversies, whatever you want to call them, that happened in the off season. Our first one is going to be about George O'Leary. And basically, we're going to try to answer the question, what the hell happened with George O'Leary? If you're unfamiliar, um, he was hired in the early, what was it, early 2000s, Luke? Uh, yeah, 2002. 2002, yeah. So about 18 years ago, he was hired, and then he was fired five days later. So it's kind of difficult to imagine that or what the fallout would be had that happened in the social media age, to be honest. That sounds worse than any, you know, fake girlfriend scandal or anything Notre Dame fans have had to deal with in recent years. But looking forward to that and looking forward to investigating some other fun stories or maybe not so fun stories in the past as well. Yeah, um, I get into weird rabbit holes when I'm not doing anything late at night and they almost always seem to have something to do with Notre Dame scandals. So I figure we may as well talk about them because I've learned some things that maybe nobody else cares about, but I think they're interesting. So um, it'll be good to talk about some people who are directly involved as well. Yeah, exactly. Maybe no one will care about it, but hey, we do. We have no life, and this is this is what we've resorted to in February when we have, we're snowed in. We can't do anything else. But that about does it for this episode. Like I said, we'll be back here in a couple of weeks um, with some George O'Leary content. So until then, talk to you soon.